You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, which I just left, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Ann Mertlow, President and CEO at United Way of Central Indiana. She recently announced her retirement from this post, and this is her first interview since that announcement. We are joined today by our frequent co-host and favorite cookie purveyor, and it's getting to be that time. Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts, Central Indiana. Thank you both for being on the podcast. I thought I'd have to choose between an IT degree and certifications until I found WGU. There I earned both through one program. WGU prepared me to earn certs from CompTIA and others at no extra cost. WGU IT bachelor's and master's degrees have no set class times. Rather, students progress at their pace, completing as many courses as they can each six-month term. I graduated faster, and you could too. Learn more at WGU.edu. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. Pleasure to be here. As always, Robert. Well, Danielle, we haven't had you on in a while. We miss you terribly, and there's no better way for us to start this podcast than to turn it over to you. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much, Robert. And welcome. We've been, uh, you've been on our list for a very long time to have as a guest. So we're so thankful that we're grabbing you now at this, at this moment of kind of like a, a pivotal time, it feels like in your career and in your life. So tell us what, what led to your decision to retire. Well, you know, I've been at United Way for, oh, it'll, it will be nine years. And maybe it's just that every nine years, I need a break um, because I was at IPL for nine years too. Um, but, you know, I think, I think there's several things. Number one, um, we've done a tremendous amount um, 
in that last nine years to really um, remake the organization to reflect the the changes in our community. And as we all know, our world has changed so much, not just in the last 10 years, right, but in the last two years. Um, And as heads of organizations, we all have to be able to carry our organizations through not only those times, but to prepare them to really thrive um, going forward. And we built a great team um, and we focused our mission and I feel really good about where we are. And it's nine years later. And I really kind of have this leadership philosophy that after a certain period of time, it's really important for leaders to turn over um, in large part because it is natural for you to become very invested in the decisions that you've made. Um, and it makes it harder to change. Um, and so I am really pleased about where we're leaving the organization. We have a great team in place, um, but I think a new leader with fresh legs um, will be able to take it to the next level. And I look forward to watching that. That's uh, I, I can't I can't agree more. In fact, one of my role models said you become a little house blind at a certain point and you don't notice the things that might be really obvious to the next person that you're passing the baton to. And it's just, it, there, there are moments that sometimes it's just the right thing. So if you could describe, um, if someone said, you know, so tell us about Anne's tenure or looking back on your career at United Way of Central Indiana, and they could use three words. What would you hope those three words would be? I would say, um, The first, I think, would be courageous. Um, I think for an organization that has so many stakeholders, change is not easy. And we need to be courageous um, as we make changes in our organization, but also, you know, as we address problems in our community. Um, And as you know, Danielle, this work is not for the faint of heart. Um, These challenges are very complex. Um, And we need to have the courage to weigh into them in ways that are different and hard. And we have to have the patience to be able to see them through uh, because change isn't made overnight. Um, I would like to say compassionate also. Um, I think to be in this work, you have to have compassion for people. You have to have empathy for people. um, But you also have to weigh that against the things that you need to do and the changes that you need to make um, to really make a difference. Um, I also, I believe in data. I'm an engineer by nature. Um, so I really believe in understanding um, what's behind uh, problems in our community um, and what the data shows about um, what solutions sh- should work. Uh, and then, you know, really using the data to inform your strategies going forward. I'm not afraid to try new things and to fail. Um, we need to know what works and what doesn't work so we can scale what works. and um, and change direction when we find something that's just not working like we thought it was would. Very good. What about, so where are you going next? So I know it says retirement, but does it really mean retirement? Um, off air, you know, you said a word that I think is a phenomenal word, you know, that you're always kind of looking for that next and particularly opportunity, which maybe that's challenge. And you know, I don't know that word might mean something else to somebody else. So I'd love to know what you mean by that phrase. And, and is that foreshadowing? that this isn't meaning you're just going to be golfing nine rounds every day for, you know, for the next number of years. 
Yeah. Well, as Robert and I were talking about before we started the podcast, I do not golf. Ah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not too terribly confident in my ability to really ever <laughs> be, be good at golf. <laughs> so um, there are lots of things I want to do, though. And, and I would say, let me say, first of all, that retirement, I don't even know what the word means anymore, right? Because it doesn't mean what it did before. Um, I have visions of you know, older relatives from my childhood who, um, for whom retirement meant, you know, retiring to your lazy boy, turning on the TV and having a scotch in your hand, right? Um, that's not retirement anymore. Um, you know, it's a different kind of, uh, of engagement. Um, I will always stay physically and intellectually active. Um, I just don't know how, how, how to be otherwise. Um, my husband is six years older than I am. We have things we want to do and places we want to see. Our kids are now grown. They live in other cities. Um, my husband and I, for example, have always wanted to go to um, Australia and New Zealand and Bora Bora, which are on the same general area of the globe, but are very far away from each other. Um, and to do that trip right, you need time that I was never willing to take when I was working full time. So there's adventures we want to have, places we want to go, books I want to read. Um, but at the same time, um, I will stay engaged on my corporate board. So I'm on two corporate boards, two public company boards uh, right now. Um, I probably will pick up another one at some point in the future. Um, and and I just want to, um, I just want to rest whatever that means. So you mentioned opportunism earlier, and that's sort of been a theme of my entire adult life. I've never picked the next thing I wanted to do. Um, I always put my head down and did the job that I was in as well as I could and learned as much as I could um, from the smart people that were around me. Um, and the next opportunities always came. Uh, and then I was only limited by my willingness and my courage, essentially, to step into those opportunities and, and bet on what I could make them. I feel the same way about retirement. Um, who knows what will come? Mm -hmm. um, where will my boards lead? Um, you know, do I think right now I will ever do another full time position? No, <laughs> I'm tired. Um, but uh, I might have said the same thing. 10 years ago when I left IPL. <laughs> There's no podcast with that one, right? Maybe not. Yeah. Um, so Robert, I don't want, I have, I have tons of questions about just the work at United Way and so forth, but do you want to add any thoughts here to just really the celebration of this next phase for Anne and any questions here? No, I think you guys are doing a wonderful job. I can't talk about golf. Okay. Uh, my power is on. So IPL AES is doing a great job today. Uh, no, it's it's interesting because one of the questions that I have written down, and maybe this is a perfect segue for you guys to talk about this together, is I was planning to ask, and who do you admire in the nonprofit world? Who do you look at and go, you know, this organization, this leader, this coalition is is doing it right? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I'm just going to tell you the first thing that came to my, to my mind. And it's not somebody who's in nonprofit really anymore, but it's Jim Morris. 
um, because Jim Morris has done so much, both from a business standpoint and from a philanthropic standpoint. I mean, he's the perfect, um, he's the perfect combination of compassion and empathy and intellect um, and drive and courage um, and opportunism. I think he would probably uh, agree with me on that to come together and bring all of his experiences to some, some really challenging, um, uh, challenging problems that our world faces like world hunger, for example. Right. Um, I think, I think he's just an amazing person, amazing business person, amazing philanthropist, amazing human being um, that I have always admired. Uh, and he's always been a great friend and mentor and supporter of mine. So I can't thank him enough for that. So irony, um, that was the first person that came to my mind as well. And I know you didn't ask me the question, Robert, but that's exactly who I thought of. When I think about, you said world hunger, right? I was thinking of also then his local impact. And there's not a thing that he has suggested where I feel like he said this thing, if we could fix this in our community, Indianapolis, Indiana, the world would be a better place. And then he doesn't make it happen. And I just think that like, ugh, that that is inspiring. That's all inspiring. So I can't agree more. Um, so I don't want to assume, Anne, that our listeners fully understand the construct of United Way. Um, I think it's similar to Girl Scouts. I think people have a a thing they think it is just like, you know, that we're cookies and crafts and, you know, that's all we ever do. So because I want to ask you some questions about kind of your um, legacy is the right word, but you also said, you know, you want to reflect that you probably don't have a lot of reflection yet, but I do want to ask you some things about what you're proud of and, and where you see United Way heading because it is such a vital, vital component of our community. So before we get there, Describe for our listeners who may not fully understand what is the what is the United Way construct. Maybe how has it changed in the nine years or in its history, its evolution, um, to kind of set the stage. Sure. Well, let me start even a little further back from that. So, United Way is a network of eighteen hundred locally governed organizations around the world, and eleven hundred of those are in the U.S. And they range from tiny organizations that might have half a person um, working out of their basement um, to larger United Ways like ours that serve um, uh, significant populations. Um, we in central Indiana um, were founded, gosh, a little over 100 years ago, so about 103 years ago. Um, and we were, we were originally founded as a war chest but it's interesting to go even further back than that, because 130 years ago in Denver, the United Way movement started as a response to an epidemic, and it was tuberculosis. And doctors told people with TB that the only way they could extend their lives was to go find a place with clean air. And so all these sick people went to Denver, and it quickly overwhelmed the entire um, population of social services and health services. And so community leaders came together, business leaders, community volunteers, religious leaders came together and they said, this problem is bigger than any of us alone. And we need to find a way to create a community response. And that was the beginning of the United Way movement. And then it, 
it really is the definition of grassroots, right? These United Ways popped up in local communities in response to the problems of the time. And so we were founded here in central Indiana as a war chest because it was wartime and war was putting significant stress on families. Um, but throughout the world, United Ways have evolved to address the issues of the time. Um, and because we have been involved in uh, human services for so long and sort of have that 30,000 foot view on the network of human service providers um, and the partnerships with government um, and others who serve in this space, um, we are able to take a look and say, what are the most complex challenges facing our community? And certainly, I think all of us would agree that poverty is one of those um, very complex problems in our community. And it is now affecting multiple generations in families. Um, so it, the problem wasn't created overnight. Um, there certainly have been things like the COVID situation that have made things worse in the short term. Um, and it is a very complex problem. There are many, um, many root causes um, and many barriers to families who are, are looking to work themselves out of those situations. So um, we really, in the last um, five years, have focused our mission on working with families that are living in poverty or are what we call our Alice families, asset limited, income constrained, but employed. Um, families that just um, are, are, are barely making ends meet or are constantly struggling to make ends meet, right? And um, we want to be um, focusing our human services infrastructure, if you will, um, on working together to help those families get to a place um, of financial stability and upward mobility in our community. And I say that's complex because it ranges, you know, from um, early um, care, health care, right? Making sure children are healthy to making sure that they're well educated to um, working with parents on um, getting better skills so they can get higher wage jobs. So the, so the household is financially stable and you're not worried about a roof over your head or where your next meal is going to come from. Um, it goes to economic development, right? Uh, we know in, in Indiana that we've lost a lot of, um, a lot of sort of mid-wage jobs um, and we have a lot of low-wage jobs, and we are recruiting a lot of high-wage jobs, but we have this gap in the middle, um, and we need to create opportunities for um, folks in central Indiana and in Indiana in general uh, to be able to have those mid-wage jobs um, and get the skills they need to be able to access those high-wage jobs. Um, so it is very complex, and it requires all of us working together to make that happen. So you mentioned data. Um, so if you had to say a needle that you moved in your career at United Way of Central Indiana, what, what needle is has been moved the most and maybe the one maybe you're most proud of or just the one that's been moved the most that you think is most critical for future success in our communities? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go to early childhood education on that one. Um, we've been working on that for about 10 years now. Um, early childhood education was something that not too many people were talking about 10 years ago. Um, everyone was focused on K through 12 and understandably so, um, but no one was really focusing on that zero to five year um, age uh, when 85% of the brain is developing. And we know now that if 
kids aren't getting um, the proper stimulation, they actually don't create the neural networks in their brains that allow them to be lifelong learners going forward. Um, you may remember uh, that, you know, eight, 10 years ago, you couldn't pick up the paper um, without hearing a story about a child being injured um, or even dying um, in daycares that weren't even meeting basic health and safety standards. And so we wanted to start there and really worked um, very strategically over time to create financial incentives for um, childhood centers to be high quality, to make sure that public dollars or tax dollars, essentially, in the form of childcare um, uh, development vouchers, right, um, were going to care providers that were at least meeting those basic, basic health and safety standards, and that we, um, as a philanthropic organization, were providing capital dollars to child care centers so they could actually create the facilities that were safe for kids. But we didn't want to stop there because we knew it wasn't just about safety. It starts with safety, of course, just like it always starts with basic needs and having your basic needs met. Um, but it's also about that high quality stimulation. And so we wanted to work with centers that would be dedicated to putting in place the curriculum and the professional development techniques, et cetera, that would help kids get that really great start that would get them ready for kindergarten. Um, we also knew, quite frankly, that um, the most vulnerable families were never going to be able to afford high quality um, early childhood education because it can cost as much as $10,000 per child. Um, and if you think about families that are living in po poverty or even Alice, which is about 200% of the poverty level, um, that is just prohibitive for families. So we needed to have quality, but we also needed to have a way for kids to be able to access, for families to be able to access that opportunity for their kids. And that's why we work with the state on the On My Way Pre-K program. Um, and one of the big parts of that was really putting in place the Indy Preschool program. Um, so one of the one of the barriers that we ran into at the state level was concern by legislators that number one, if they funded pre-K, where were where, where were we going to put kids? Because we because there was no um, financial model for high quality pre-K, um, we weren't creating the high quality seats. And by the same token, there wasn't proof that families would actually opt to have their children attend these centers. And so we said in Indianapolis, and I say we, the philanthropic community, the city and the corporate community came together in a community response and said, we'll prove it to you. We'll create the Indy Preschool Program and um, we will show you that if we provide scholarships for these kids, that families will opt to have their children there and um, that we can create the high quality seats to meet that demand. And we did that. And we also said to the state at the time um, that we were gonna do this for five years and it was gonna go, go away after five years. And the reason it was gonna go away after five years was because it was the state's responsibility to pro provide high quality education. And we would expect the state to pick that up afterwards, which they did. So the, um, all the high quality seats that we created in Marion County are now being funded through the On My Way Pre-K program. They're memorialized in Marion County. Um, we now, we started it with On My Way Pre-K with 
five counties and now all counties in Indiana have access to high quality pre-K, but not all kids have access to high quality pre-K yet. We still have work to do and we'll continue to stay on that mission. I love it. Absolutely love it. So my next question is similar, but your career has spanned finance, energy, education, nonprofit, probably some things I don't even know. Um, So my question is, if you could remove all barriers and constraints and thinking about all the places you've worked and seen and done, what project would you want to work on? Oh my gosh, what project would I want to work on? I have real passion for education, I have to say. Um, And that's one of the reasons I've been on the board of the Mind Trust Mm -hmm. um, for a long time too. I I just think that, that opportunity starts with education and experiences. And the more educated you are and the more access you have to things that are outside of your, your prior experience, um, the more choices you have. It's really about choices in life. And so I said, I've always been an opportunist and I've been able to be an opportunist because I've been very open to all of those experiences and I have the benefit of a high quality education. Um, I really think we need to be providing all our kids with a high quality education. I have just such a passion for that. Um, So that would be the, the issue that I would work on and I would do it in any way other than running for public office. Oh, that was my next question. (laughs) Will you please run for it? No. Um, No. (laughs) Actually, like on an all serious note, did you ever consider running for public office? No, no, I am, you know, no, (laughs) I, and I, and I, I, I just don't think I am um, uh, smooth enough. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, I think I'm art, I'm articulate enough, but I also am pretty direct. Um, I say what I see mm-hmm. um, and I go after problems. And um, sometimes that can make me fairly unpopular uh, and that's okay with me. Um, but I'm not sure that works all that well in the political realm. Yeah. yeah. Robert, what do you think? You're the political guy. I think sometimes directness can... Uh place for sure well it depends on if you have a good pr person <laughs> isn't that the truth where's where's fennig we need him on this conversation <laughs> for sure he's with me at united way i know that's why i'm saying where's fennig we need him in this conversation you know the one of the things that's so good of, that, that we've learned quite frankly and then i'll let danielle get back to asking a few questions is is one of the things that that you learn when you're involved in the indianapolis world from government or corporate or nonprofit is how well almost everyone, if not everyone works together And the story of modern Indianapolis. um, I was born six weeks after Luger won the first time after Richard Luger won his first in 67. And the difference between Indianapolis of my youth, when I only went downtown to go see Dick, the bruiser at the convention center, And what, for example, we just experienced with the college football national championship, these big events and these huge programs like on the way that you just talked about, Mm -hmm. they only really happen if people are willing to um, 
lay aside their ego a little bit because they know they're not going to get everything they want, uh, but come together and realize that there is an Indianapolis way. And that way involves making things better for as many people as possible in the city. Is that something that you're, you're not here? You're not from here originally, as I recall. I'm not. I've only been you here went, 20 years. So. That's right. I'm going to ask you about that here in a few minutes. Um, graduate of Lehigh uh, University. But when you came here, how quickly did that get embedded in your psyche? Like, okay, these people here, obviously kind of Jim Morris is the apex of that. But there's been the P.E. McAllister's and the Bill Mays and the Yvonne Shaheen's and the list goes on and on. Those folks who have come together. How quickly did you realize this city's got something special going. Uh, very quickly, um, very quickly. And, um, you know, I came uh, to be the CEO of Indianapolis Power and Light, which is an AES company. And I came from AES um, a year after AES had acquired the company. Um, and I didn't know anyone in Indianapolis. I was very quickly embraced when I moved here um, and demonstrated that I was genuinely interested in the community. And I think that's really important. Um, You know, I often will tell people that I came to Indianapolis from London. And when I was in London for six years, um, I was traveling quite a bit um, and it was almost all work and no social life. And then I came to Indianapolis on my very first trip when I was considering coming to Indianapolis for the job. And by the end of that um, first day, I had 15 best friends, which was more than I actually had the opportunity to create when I was in, when I was in London. So, I mean, people were, are, are just genuinely nice to one another. They have time for one another. Um, and Community is something that everyone can and does rally around. I found that very special. Um, This became home for us very quickly. My kids were eight and 12. Um, My husband made the decision to become a stay-at-home dad. Um, And this became home very quickly. So I felt like a Hoosier for a really long time. Now, 20 years later, um, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. Uh, So, you know, I think that's, that's the thing that we should be known for. And it's, it's still the best kept secret in my view from people who have never been here. We should note that Anne does not have to run for public office because her friend, Fred Mills is running for public office. Go Fred. Danielle, back to you. All right. Very good. So Let's imagine, I think, what is your official last day in July or June? June 30th. That's the end of our fiscal year. Okay. So as you're sitting in those last whatever transition meetings look like with the person who's going to step into your shoes, what are you going to, what are your words of wisdom to that person? What are your words of this is what needs to be thought about next because it's left unfinished or the, you know, the community needs this. What, what would, what would that conversation look like? Yeah, I think it depends on who my successor is, quite honestly. I mean, I I think the I have every confidence that the search committee will do a fantastic job and that they'll have a multitude of qualified people who are interested in doing this job, including some internal candidates as well as external candidates. Um, I think I'll, I'll share what I've learned um, 
and talk about sort of where we are in our journey. But I think I'll leave it to the next person to figure out what the right way forward is. Um, Fresh ideas, I think, are a good thing. Um, New perspectives on old problems are always a good thing. Um, I think, you know, I'll share my heart for the community and my faith in the team that we've put in place. I think that's um, that's really important. Um, I will offer my assistance in any way um, that is appropriate and desired. Um, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'm not leaving Indianapolis. This is my home. Um, I continue to be very invested in its success um, in whatever form that takes going forward. That's great. Well, we will miss you. I'll say that on the record. So thank you. I have to keeping, you know, since this big announcement happened, I keep having to remind people that I'm not dying. I'm I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, and congratulations to its new president, Mr. Paul Okeson. Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Ann Mertlow, President and CEO at United Way of Central Indiana. She recently announced her retirement from that position, and this is her first interview since that announcement. We are joined by our frequent co-host, Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. And we asked you kind of this question a few minutes ago, but this is a question I ask all our Hoosier guests. So you have to come up with a completely different answer than Mr. Jim Morris, who is the most frequent answer to this question. Is there a Hoosier leader and or legend you particularly admire? Oh my gosh. We got one on the, we got one on the screen here. Somebody besides, um, yes, of course. I'm I'm looking at her. Yeah, we do. We do. Well, okay. I can use Danielle. Um, Danielle's done a, a, a tremendous job actually of coming into Girl Scouts. I mean, Girl Scouts, like a lot of our organizations, has had to evolve um, to meet, you know, our new society. And I think Girl Scouts has done a bang up job of keeping all the things that were so good and so basic to Girl Scouts mission while reinventing itself um, for this new generation. I, um, Danielle, I don't know that I've ever told you this, but I also was a Brownie and a Girl Scout. And I think it was probably the first place um, where you tried lots of new things um, and you worked to earn something. Um, and those lessons are so key to life as well as professional success. So I'm deeply grateful. My daughter, when we moved to England, um, was in the international chapter of Girl Scouts, and she enjoyed that as well. Um, so, so thank you for all you're doing in our community and what you're doing within the Girl Scouts network. Yeah, it's um. It's a joyful job. And I always say that's a silly adjective, but I do. I think it's just a joyful place to be. The girls are amazing. 
Um, and I'm glad to hear you had a good start with Girl Scouts in your own personal life. I think I do think it'd be interesting to ask all the women leaders in our community who were Girl Scouts, what stuck with them? Because I, it's often I think about they talk about the first box of cookies they sold was the first time they ever spoke to a stranger in that way and how it over, overcame shyness. It, it sparked a, a curiosity or an entrepreneurship spirit. It, it, it is a big part of a lot, a lot of, a lot of women. Um, so, so I'm glad to hear you say that it was for you too. You um, I want to talk education a little bit, but I also want to talk, we've, we've tiptoed around the fact that you've had lots of different roles in your career. Um, and maybe as you're, thinking about a more traditional retirement, even though you said there's no such thing as really just retiring, which one, I don't know, favorite, um, but which one has just been like, can you say, do you have a favorite role in your, in your career? I don't, I don't have a favorite role. Each of them, each of the roles that I've had has in some way built on the one that I had before, but exposed me to things that are totally different. So, um, you know, I'm an engineer by training and I started off my career actually doing design work, which is exactly what every engineer thinks they're going to be doing. Um, But then when I went to AES, um, you know, they were just hiring smart people that could learn new things and could figure out how to do things. Um, And so that gave me a whole new opportunity to learn things I'd never done before and gain confidence in my ability to do those things. Um, I didn't have any business training. I learned business on the job from people who were willing to teach me and give me experiences and trial and error and, and all of that. Um, when I came to United Way um, from the utility industry, um, one of the things I thought that really crossed over was they were both 100-year-old organizations. Um, And there are things that come with 100-year-old organizations, good things, and some pretty entrenched things that need to change. Um, And so I brought that experience to United Way, but I really didn't know the human services sector. So I'm always looking to somehow leverage the skills that I've been fortunate enough to gain over the course of my lifetime but also to learn something really new and challenging. That's just what jazzes me. So which one, uh, which career step challenged you, like stretched you the most where you thought, you know, oh, this might not be the right one because this is a lot of learning curve. <laughs> the very first, the very first change I made, which was I went from Bechtel Power Corporation, one of the largest constructors and designers of um, infrastructure around the world. And, and that division was doing power plants. And then I went to AES. I was recruited to AES and it was a startup company at the time. Um, And uh, there was no structure. So I went from a company that had a ton of structure and to a company that had no structure because it was a startup company and no money. And you just had to figure it out. Um, And after, you know, the first six months, I didn't know if I was going to make it. I I really didn't know if I was going to make it. I didn't know if I could operate. Um, without those boundaries being clear. Um, And instead, what ended up happening was I became addicted to being able to create my own destiny, being in control, really having more control over what I did and creating new opportunities and 
having access to all these people who were um, so smart and could see opportunities for me that I couldn't see in myself. Um, so once I got over the, got out of my own head, um, you know, the world was my oyster. And I talk to young women about this all the time. Um, don't be afraid to jump in um, because you don't have to be ready. You just have to be willing. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. So if, so in this kind of theme, um, if, if you could talk to your 18 year old self is a question I often ask, right? But now I want to say, if you could talk to your 18 year old self, what would you say? But if you could talk to your 40 year old self, what would, what would those two conversations be like? Um, Cause I think now, gosh, I, I still have so much to learn. And I'm, I'm not even 50 yet. So I don't, I don't know. My 18 year old self was just foolish. So anyhow, mm-hmm. 18 and 40 year old self, what would you say? I think so. If what would I say to myself now? If 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 I was forty, I would say, um, spend more time nurturing your relationships. And that may sound sound funny because when I I was forty when I came to Indianapolis, and that's when I became the CEO of um, what what is now AES Indiana. Um, But I I. I think I always was so dedicated to my career and my family because I had a young family that I never nurtured my other relationships. Um, and I wish I had done that. I actually wish I had done that earlier. Um, when I came to Indianapolis, I met all kinds of wonderful women. Um, and I met them through business. So we had shared experiences. Many of us were in the same life stage um, as well as career stage. And because of the size of Indianapolis, um, they became friends very quickly. Um, I love to say in Indianapolis, it's so easy to integrate your business life and your philanthropic life and your personal life just because the size of the community is perfect. Um, not too small, um, but perfectly small. and. I wish that I had in my early in, in the early or part of my career, and even sooner um, when I was forty, really nurtured those relationships and kept them because they are so fulfilling to me now. I have a group of I don't know fifty six women who I've met over the last twenty years, and we get together and we support each other, and they are my girlfriends and they are a professional network. Um, I never had that earlier. Um, and I would give that advice to myself and to anybody else, but I would give it to them at 25. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to wait till you're 40 to figure that out. That's awesome. Anything different to your 18 year old self? Just be more adventurous. I don't think I was all that adventurous when I was 18. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I had anywhere near the confidence that I should have had at 18. I mean, part of that was probably that I went from an all girls prep school to an engineering school where the ratio of boys to girls was 18 to one. So I was a little shell shocked for a couple of years, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was good. That was really good training because at the end of the day, I became an engineer and um, there were uh, mostly men. I worked mostly with men. 
um, in my energy career. And so that experience served me well. You know, you asked me earlier, Danielle, what one project mm-hmm. I would work on. And I said education. The other thing is I would love to see more women go into engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, engineering taught me how to think rigorously. It was hard. You had to stick with it to get through it. Um, and I am proof that just because you have an engineering degree doesn't mean you have to be an engineer forever, but it provides that foundation for rigorous thinking that will make you successful in anything you try. Um, and there are still today, no more women in engineering than there were when I went through college 40 years ago. There's something wrong with that. So, um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. So we are still, we, um, as a side project to the Girl Scouts mission in space and STEM, we are still working with Purdue Polytech High School and the Paramount um, schools in central Indiana. And there's still very much hope that we will have a K-8 all girls STEM Academy um, with those two partners in central Indiana for, for what you just described and so many other reasons, but um, maybe somewhere in your retirement future, there's some time to provide some, um, I don't know, just some good guidance to that, that, that's that, that model. Um, I might pick your brain someday if, if you're willing. I'd be more than willing. I think that's great. I'll, I can tell you a quick story. If we've got, do we have a time for a quick story, Robert? Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I remember the day that my daughter came home from school and told me that she had gotten a C on a test or something, a math test. And she was maybe in seventh grade. And um, I said to her, well, what happened? And she said, well, mom, everybody knows girls aren't good at math. And after calming myself for a few seconds, I looked at her and I said, where did you hear that? Well, I heard that at school. I said, let me just tell you, you are the product of two engineers. It is genetically impossible for you to be bad at math. And she did well in math from that moment forward. A lot of this is just socialization and access and confidence building. Girls can do this and they can do it well and they can they can just rocket their careers um, because they have skills that are are so important to life. So I th- you can tell I'm passionate about this one. I was just we could talk all day because I was just going to talk about you know a girl by age seven or eight develops her math and science persona. And I do think everything you just said is so true. It's, it's not something in them that flips a switch. It's what all the messages they're receiving or lack thereof. They're mm-hmm. not seeing themselves in those careers. They're not seeing women in, um, and they're not giving opportunities to engage in those spaces. And that's actually, that's my only Girl Scout commercial. I do think that's the one thing we do really well. We let girls see women do amazing things in a variety of places or they may not otherwise have access. I think we're a great companion to the K-12 classroom because as a former educator, elementary teacher, there's just not enough moments in the day, but in, in Girl Scouts, they can have those opportunities. So I rarely do that, Robert. That was a point of privilege. I, I rarely go Girl Scouts on a, on our show here. So, <laughs> so, so many of the, so many of the women leaders and legends we've had on the podcast have been Girl Scouts. I think almost the majority. It'd be easy to say the majority, if not nearly all. Mm-hmm. Let me ask a couple of questions and then we'll turn it back over to Danielle for the 
final five questions. We're with Ann Mertlow, CEO, United Way. One of the things that I tell people or used to tell people when they were about to meet with Greg Ballard for the first time, my former boss, when he was mayor of Indianapolis, and they were looking for a way to suck up to him perhaps, or start the meeting off in a good way that'll get the mayor in a good mood. I used to always say, compliment his staff. And if you say nice things about Greg Ballard's staff, he will be putty in your hands and they would laugh. And then I would get a text after the meeting and the text would read that worked. So we know you have an amazing staff. I mentioned uh, Greg Finnig a few minutes ago. Uh, I work a little bit with someone else who's very amazing, and that's Anne Valentine, because we do some Indigo-related uh, work together. I'm friends with Peter Hanscom, who's wonderful. But talk to, talk to us, please, about your staff, how important it is to recognize them, reward them, empower them. And make sure that people on the outside of the organization know that they're a critical source of your success. Oh, absolutely. I think it's hugely important. I mean, they're, they're, any leader that thinks that they have been uh, recognized for success that hasn't been driven in large part by all of the people under them is sort of kidding themselves, right? Um, we, we have an amazingly strong team of go-getters. Um, we, we debate issues. Um, we respect each other tremendously um, for the different viewpoints that we bring. Um, and then we work together to get stuff done. Um, you know, I think our team is um, unique for an organization like ours. Uh, and they are really focused on mission. They're, they're very um, empathetic to the people um, that we're trying to help, um, but they're, they're also very disciplined about the work that we do um, and they work really well together. You know, I think for me, it, interesting that you would say that Mayor Ballard loved it when his staff was complimented. Um, I think that's the best compliment you can give to a leader is to compliment their staff. Um, at least for me, the most gratifying thing um, I see as a leader is when the people who um, have worked for me go on to do wonderful, great things. Um, and that that is the, the biggest reward you can get as a, as a leader to see that the, those who have served with you um, got something out of that time that allowed them to grow in their confidence and their capabilities to take on wonderful new things. Does that answer your question? It does, because as someone who still talks to Mayor Boward quite frequently, um, to to say that he is not only very proud of the city for handling two significant sporting events within a year of each other would be an understatement, mm -hmm. but to say that he's not over the moon proud of Ryan Vaughn 
one of his former chiefs of staff who is running the Indiana sports corp would be, I couldn't, I couldn't quantify how much of an understatement that would be. You have had people who you've uh, mentored people who have worked for you go on to do great things. How much pride, how much pride is that? Not self pride, but you know how hard they worked, you know how hard they struggled, you know how important it was for them to move on, to be recognized, to be a contributor to the Indianapolis community. You know, when you when you read an article or you're at a luncheon and you see someone uh, who used to uh, mentor or boss, for lack of a better term, and now he or she is doing it on their own, what what are you thinking? I, I just, I have a sense of pride. It's almost like the pride that I have in my children when I watch them. Right. I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's a love and a pride. Um, it is, it's like a go, you know, go get them, go get them. And I hear from those people. I don't hear from them all the time, but some of the, some of the best moments and you have the opportunity to get those best moments in times like this, when people are contacting you and you may not have talked to, to them for a while, you find out how, um, maybe you had a really uh, a, a really strong part in making that happen, um, and they're not always things that you think. You know, they'll they'll recount stories about a time when um, they weren't confident in doing something, but you said just the right thing, um, and that was a turning point. Um, I can remember times in my career when people did that for me, um, and it just totally changed the way I thought about what I could achieve. So. As a leader, that's, in my view, legacies are not about um, brick and mortar. For me, legacies are about the people that you've touched, that you've helped reach their potential um, to go on and do great things, um, because that's exponential, right? Because that just, it just grows, um, and the potential from that is so significant. Um, so the most gratifying thing for me is seeing seeing people um, that have worked with me or that I've mentored or even that I've spoken you know, to in a group that I never knew took something away from what I said and it meant something to them um, that essentially learned from my experience that I was able to share. When you head an organization like the United Way, sometimes sometimes you have to say no. How difficult is that? Um, it depends on what the no is for, I would say. Um, I mean, you're dedicated to helping people. You're dedicated to making the community better, but yeah. you just can't do everything. You can't. Do and everything. every once in a while, you just have to either say no or you say no, but one of the two. And is yeah. that is that what you think about when you're driving home? At like, you know, maybe there was another way I could have been helpful because it's because you in public service, when you work in the mayor's office, that happens quite a bit. And that was my experience. You want to say yes to almost everything, but some things you just can't say yes to for whatever reason. But right. that's the that's almost it's somewhat political. It's obviously mostly governmental. But for you, for your mission, for your personality, for your soul and your heart and what you want to do and help, how difficult is it when you're just like, I can't figure out how to help X? Yeah, I think I mean, I think it's always hard to say no, but you always you, you have to do it right. There's always more you could do. 
in any circumstance. Um, and so you just have to analyze the situation and figure out what the best outcome is. And, and then I think, I think the no is tempered by the ability to explain the why. Um, you know, this is, this is what we had to weigh. Um, this is what we decided at the end of the day. But I also am a big believer in revisiting decisions. Um, so if things change, um, then you should be willing to change with them. Um, I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room. I never have. Um, I work hard. Um, I take as much information as I can, but I also I, I also will, will revisit and listen to argument. So you can change direction if it makes sense. We have reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. Our guest today is Ann Mertlow, president and CEO at United Way of Central Indiana. Our co-host is the lovely and talented and amazing Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Danielle, as usual, the five questions are on you. All right. Well, first of all, all he really wants is another box of Samoas with all those. <laughs> no, no, no. Boxes. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so, Robert, I actually want to preempt it with a, a first of my own, and then I'm going to do your five, Okay. Yes, ma'am. All right. So the mission of Girl Scouts is to build girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place. What tip would you leave or what tip do you have for your for the listeners for how they can make the world a better place? Um, be aware of what's happening around you. It's so easy for us to stay in a bubble. Um, and I think many of the challenges in our community are invisible to many of us. Um, so I think we have to have our eyes open um, and we need to marry our passions with our ability to get engaged. Um, and I think those two things can really make a difference. There are ways to engage in this community and our community will embrace you in doing so. Um, we want your time, talent and treasure. Um, Girl Scouts does, United Way does, um, you know, the city of Indianapolis does. Um, so don't be afraid to get involved, learn about what's happening in your community, bring your skills and gifts and natural talents to the table, um, and join the team to make our community a stronger place. Great. Thanks. And thanks Robert for letting me have that final last question. And now the five <laughs> legends questions. First and foremost, what was your first job? Beyond babysitting, which is, seems to be everybody's first job. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a sales clerk in the table linens department of a department store called Woodward and Lothrop in Washington, D.C. Okay. First concert. Beach Boys. <laughs> we just did a podcast interview with Noblesville Mayor Chris Jensen. Do you know Mr. Jensen? I, I do not. Well, next time, if you ever meet Mr. Mayor Jensen, that was his first concert as ah, well. The we Beach Boys. Sorry, Danielle. No, I, no, I paused. Robert always has some kind of editorializing to do <laughs> on the concert question. All right. How about a book? Um, one that is either stuck with you as a favorite that you recommend or one that you're reading right now or just something you have a book you'd recommend to our listeners. My favorite book of all time, quite frankly, is Pride and Prejudice. Um, I just love it. Um, if I was going to be more philosophical, um, I, 
I really like Atlas Shrugged. A bit controversial, I'm sure, but yeah, that's okay. How about if you could witness firsthand a moment in history rather than having read about it in a book? What moment would you want to witness? Good question. I, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind was I it's an, it's not so much historical, but I would have loved to have seen Mother Teresa in at work. Okay. And then the, the final of the five, if you could sit down for one hour off the record and have a meal with any person living, who would you want to sit down with? Any living person. Um, I think Condoleezza Rice, honestly. Okay. That's only funny because Mayor Chris Jensen chose the same person. <laughs> I need to give him a call. I will do. I will facilitate some sort of introduction because <laughs> this is this is uncanny, and it's a beautiful choice. She's a remarkable person. There you go. I wonder if there's some link between Condoleezza Rice and Beach Boys. I wonder <laughs> if that was her first concert. <laughs> maybe she maybe she dated John Stamos in a Oh, Maybe. <laughs> You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Ann Mertlow, President and CEO at United Way of Central Indiana. And our guest host has been Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Ann, thank you so much for your time today. And congratulations on whatever form of retirement you choose to implement. We wish you the best. And thank you so much, not only for coming to Indianapolis, for all that you did while you were in our city. We are very grateful. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.